Good morning. Happy Sunday to everybody. Glad you're all here. Glad you're watching online. So if you want to, to kind of get to where we're going to be this morning in your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to start off with Old Testament stuff as it leads into New Testament stuff this morning. Quick background on 1 Samuel 16. It's the story of the nation of Israel that got a little bent out of shape. They looked around at all the nations around them and they made a declaration unto God and unto the prophet Samuel as the mediator for God. And they said, we wanna be like everybody else. Well, that's a big temptation that we all are challenged with, right? Whether it's elementary school or junior high or later on, we always wanna be like everybody else. But God has told us we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a nation of people unto his own possession. But here the nation of Israel is looking around at the other nations and they declare to God, which is quite bold in itself, that they want a king to be like everybody else, a king to rule over them. Now at this point they have kind of recognized God as God, but they have not recognized them as their king, spiritual or otherwise. So they cry out for a king and God gives them the desire of their heart by giving them King Saul. Now Saul was everything the people wanted. He was tall, he was good looking, he probably even smelled good, and he was a great warrior. When, the, when Saul stood out to the people, he stood ahead above everybody else, and the people looked at Saul and said, yeah baby, that's our king, that's the man we want. Well, Saul came and God blessed him to be king for a while, but Saul, being a arrogant man to start with, and having the, the, almost the curse of the people crying out to make him king instead of God, soon went his own way in pride and dishonored God, and God rejected him. And then God comes to choose a king of his own choosing in King David. When God chooses King David, he is everything that Saul is not. He is a young, wimpy little kid tending sheep, not even honored to be in the home. He is not a warrior yet, but he will be as God develops him into that. But I want us to read in 1 Samuel 16 that as God calls Samuel to go get God's chosen king, not the people's chosen king, that God says, I will provide you a king in essence of a man after my own heart, not a man of your choosing that fits your expectation, God says, I will give you someone that I will make into a king by my choosing. And we come to the point where God has called Samuel the prophet to go to Jesse's house and to see his sons because that is where the king is coming from. So read with me 1 Samuel 16, starting in verse 1. I'm reading from New American Standard Bible. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn, horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, Jesse of the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, Lord, how shall I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. 
So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? And he said, I, In peace I have come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they entered, Samuel looked at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Stop there. Samuel looked at Eliab and thought what? Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Now why do you think he did that? Well, when the people looked at Saul and he stood a head higher than everybody else, he was good looking, he was rugged, he was a man's man. I'm guessing he probably had a pretty healthy beard unlike mine. The outward appearance tickled the ears, tickled the eyesight of the people, and even this prophet of God to say, oh, now there's a guy that would be king, right? Outward appearance. But let's read verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as what? As man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We'll stop there. Samuel goes through all of Jesse's children one by one, if you continue to read on in the story, and one by one they are rejected. Oh, what a terrible feeling to be rejected, right? That just hurts. And they get through, and the prophet Samuel knows that God has sent him there to anoint a king, to take his horn of oil, to anoint him and consecrate him as God's chosen king. And every one of Jesse's kids come out, and starting with the oldest, you know, the, the burly guy there. And then Samuel's like, yeah! And God's like, no! And he goes to the next son, and Samuel's like, yeah! And God's like, no! And he goes to the third son, and he's like, yeah! And God's like, no! And God's the fourth son, yeah! God's like, what? No. no. And he runs out of sons. There's a problem, right? There's a big problem because God sent him here to find a king from Jesse's sons and we're out of sons. And so Samuel says, um, excuse me, Jesse, is there anybody else? And Jesse kind of goes on, if you read the story, it's kind of like, well, yeah, I got a little pipsqueak out in the field. <laughs> it's kind of the runt of the litter, but he's out there and we don't even have him in the house because he really doesn't deserve to be here, so he's out tending sheep. And Samuel's like, dude, you're holding out on me. Go get the kid. Now, this is actually a pretty hilarious picture because Samuel has to wait for Jesse and his sons to go find David out somewhere in the field, in the pasture, tending the sheep, and bring him back. Now picture yourself as Samuel. You're God's anointed prophet. You know Saul's rejected. You come in thinking you know the heart of God, and you start picking, and God says, uh-uh-uh. You run out of sons for king. You find there's one other, and even before you see him, you know that he's not gonna be what you think would be king material, right? You already know that. And now you have to sit here and wait in your thought life, in your own head, until he finally gets there and you can anoint him king. 
Now, you know, there's a problem about being alone sometimes when your head begins to spin and dwell on things and there's nothing to distract you. Don't you love that? Because your head just goes and goes and you dwell on whatever it is and it just kind of eats you up. And just imagine being Samuel going, okay, well, I don't have a clue now, obviously, what God's got planned, but I know I don't have the pick of the litter. And this is who God is going to make king? Can you imagine Samuel beginning to question everything about what he thought God would be doing? I mean, he's God's prophet. He's God's man. And God says, I am rejecting the others, and I am choosing this one. And David comes on the scene, and you got to remember, David's the youngest of the litter. He's not big. He's not tall. Where has he been? Out in the pasture with the sheep. And you know the shepherds. They slept with them. They stayed with them. They guarded them. They had a little campfire, the whole bit, and they were always out. How do you think David came in looking? And even better, smelling <laughs> when he came in. And Samuel's like, okay, God, whatever you want. Here's the point of the story. God looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. We look at the outward appearance. Even Samuel fell into the mistake of looking at the outward appearance, right? With with uh, the oldest son of Eliab, he thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. I mean, look at the guy. And God says, no, it's not who I want. God, in essence, says, I will choose a king. And I will look at his heart and choose from there because I look where man does not. And God basically says, I don't care about his outward appearance or his stature or his position because if I choose him, I can and will make him into who I want to be. We celebrate this morning the fact that we are like David. We have not been rejected by God, but God has chosen us. He has reached out into the depth and darkness of sin, into a world entrenched in rebellion and sin against God, and he reached down out of the glory and holiness of heaven, and he looked at you, and he looked at me, and he says, that one's mine, and he reached out his hand of salvation and pulled us out of the depths and put us in a place called holy, honored, anointed, and made us his own possession. I want you to realize this morning that God has chosen you. God has chosen you. That's the first point. God chooses us. He singled us out and chose us for his own possession. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, and then put your finger over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Just as God chose David, God chose us, and it's special to be chosen. It hurts to be rejected, doesn't it? I mean, we've all felt that sting of being rejected by someone or a job or an individual in a relationship. We know the sting and the pain of rejection, but how special it is to be chosen. How special it is to desire to be with someone and then to be chosen by them 
accepted by them completely, without expectation, without condition, without demand, just accepted for who we are. We read in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 6, these wonderful words. Starts off with a blessing to God, which is where all our lives should start, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Catch verse 4. Get your spiritual catchers mid out and catch verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Now turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll pick up in verse 13 and 14. And it tells us this. But we should always give thanks to God for you. Brethren, beloved by the Lord. Catch this. Because God has what? God has chosen you. From the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through the gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop there. Stop there. This is a cool thing this morning, isn't it? Now, we've had some challenging sermons in the past, which I would talk to your pastor about that, right? Kind of beat you up on Sundays. This is not one of those Sundays. This is a Sunday of encouragement to remind you that no matter where you've been, what you've done, how far you've gone, what you haven't done, God chose you. God chose you before you even did or didn't do all that stuff. And he full well knew that you would or wouldn't. God chose you. That's pretty cool. The question I always ask when I hear that, that God chose you, John, is what? Oh, why? Why would you choose me? Of all the people in the world, Lord, why would you choose me? Don't you ask that question too? Haven't you ever asked that of God? Why would you bestow such grace and blessing and honor and privilege and your spirit and, and you bestow me with spiritual gifts and blessings of all sorts and you guide me in the future? Why would you do that to me, Lord? I am, I am nothing. I'm nothing and we are reminded because God doesn't look at what we do or what we haven't done God doesn't look at our stature or our position thank God for that at least in my case God looks at what the heart and he chooses us for him Ephesians 1 4 tells us why God chose us he gives us the answer because he knew we would ask the question, right? Don't you ask the question? Why me, Lord? What was, well, why not somebody else? They're so much more deserving. God says it's not about deserving, and that's the whole point. It has nothing to do with deserving God's favor upon us. Ephesians 1.4 tells us this. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, here's why, that we would be holy and blameless before him. 
great, I've already blown it. <laughs> right? I've already blown it, how about you? Let me just ask, the last week, the last seven days since we were together, last Sunday, God has chosen you, you know that? Have you been holy and blameless? I know I haven't. What's the issue then? I mean, I'm probably going to leave Sunday this afternoon, and I will say something, and Christy will say something, and I will say something back to her. <laughs> And I will be unhomely, unholy, and homely, and I will be blameful, right? I mean, it's going to take probably 45 minutes after I leave church. In fact, it may happen while we're having potluck. It may not even take that long. I am not going to be holy and blameless. And yet Ephesians 1, 4 says God chose me that I would be holy and blameless. This math doesn't add up. And that's the beautiful point. That's the whole point God is trying to make. You and I can't be good enough for him. You and I can't be holy and blameless. You're going to blow You may be blowing it right now by what you're thinking in your mind. Like, John, will you please just get this over? I am hungry. There's meatballs and crackers in there. Come on. <laughs> just get it over with. The whole point is that we cannot be good enough for God. We cannot be holy and blameless, but God says, I choose you to be, what? Holy and blameless. The beautiful miracle of God choosing you and I is it is he that makes us holy and blameless. It is he that sees us as holy and blameless in spite of ourselves. Is it, it is because we are in him. And we read the verses in Ephesians and 2 Thessalonians where the whole reason God did this was because of love. And love covers a multitude of sins. And boy, do I have a multitude. Maybe even two multitudes if I count, right? And I'm betting you do too. And God's love covers them completely. He forgives and sees our sin no more as far as the east is to the west. He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he says, I go and I prepare a place for you. And God looks at you and I and says, wow, there is my son. There is my daughter whom I have chosen and adopted into my family, my father's family. And they are holy and blameless. And we go, are you kidding me, Lord? What do you see? And that's where we run into the problem, right? Because we start second-guessing God, going, uh, no, Lord, take the blinders off, take the sunglasses off, and God's going, no, you take the excuse and the poor me glasses off. Because I have chosen you, and I have made you holy and blameless, and you are my own possession, a royal priesthood, a royal nation. That's who you are. And then God says, now live that way. Without excuse, live that way. You and I are like King David when he was still out there in the field that he comes in, and God says to the prophet Samuel, that one's mine. That's the one I'm choosing. And Samuel's gone. 
that one doesn't look like king material. And God's like, I know, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it great? I'm going to make them into king material. I'm going to make this little guy into a great warrior. I'm going to make him into this. And I'm going to bless him and his family. God, I can just see, I mean, this is my own little warp mind. I can just see God doing the little giddy dance in heaven going, oh yeah, this is going to be great. This is going to be fun. I'm choosing you and you and you and you and you and you are my own possession. And boy, we are going to have a great time because now you are royalty. You are a son or a daughter of the king himself. I want you to live that way. And I'm going to make you all that you are not because I choose you. Isn't that cool? We are holy and blameless. Not by anything we've ever done or can or will do. We are holy and blameless because God has chosen us. You have been chosen by God today. Why? To be holy and blameless. And if I could add anything on there, not going against the Bible, but I would say, without excuse. You are holy and blameless. Ephesians chapter 1. See how quick your fingers are. Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians or Exodus 34. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us this miracle. It says this, in him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood that we've just celebrated in communion, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to what? The riches of his grace. God's riches, God's power, God's ability to make us to that which we are not is unfathomable. It's never ending. You ever get in a weird place in your spiritual life and think, well, yeah, God's going to take care of them, but when it comes to grace, he's going to run out about halfway through my life. And I'm not going to be finished. That doesn't happen with God. It says in him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption. When it says we have redemption, what does that mean? It's already in our possession. Do we have to go and get some more? No. Do we have to add to it? No. We have redemption through his blood, the shedding of his blood that forgives us and makes us white as snow, which we celebrate in communion, the forgiveness of our sins and trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I remember talking to some kids years ago and they were kind of in a bragging place about, oh yeah, well, my house is bigger than your house and my car is better than your car. And I remember talking to the kids, the boys, it was all boys, of course. And I said, excuse me for a minute, can I ask you a couple questions? And they're like, sure. I'm like, do you pay the mortgage on that house? Well, no, but I live there. My parents pay the mortgage. I'm like, oh, then it's your parents' house. It's not your house. And they're like, well, well but, but I live there. I'm like, yeah, but you don't pay the mortgage. You didn't purchase that house. You are honored to be included as family to live there. Now, what I did tell them was that as their parents, they may pass that on to them as a possession later on. But that's kind of like us. As God has chosen us and called us to be sons and daughters adopted into his family, we're not paying the spiritual mortgage of sin. God did. He paid it all. And then he says, now come. You come and enjoy my riches 
which will never run out. You come and be part of my family, and you get to say it's yours just because I bring you in and choose you and make it yours. That's the blessing of being chosen by God. So in this choosing, what does God have planned for his chosen? Well, Ephesians 1.5 gives us a little clue. It says, he, God, predestined us to adoption. Didn't we just talk about that, about being adopted in God's house? He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ unto himself. Wow, how cool is that? Back in the Old Testament again in Exodus, second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, we read the story of Moses being called up on the mountain as he's got the nation of Israel out there, as God has pulled them out of 400 years of slavery and bondage, the, the, the spiritual icon, the symbol of what it's like to be in bondage and sin. And in that traveling in the 40 years of the desert, God calls Moses to come up on the mountain and to receive the Ten Commandments. And as Moses comes up there, he realizes that this is holy ground and he is in God's presence and that Shekinah glory. And it's God that makes the mountain holy. Not anything else. And we read this in Exodus 34 as the interaction between Moses and God. Exodus 34 verses 6 to 9 says, Then the Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed to him, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Moses made haste to bow down low toward the earth and worship. Moses said, Lord, if I have now find, found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us to your own possession. I love this picture, because this is one of the moments when Moses realizes how much of an unworthy, undeserving, unholy man he is. Now Moses already knew it because God has tried to call him multiple times to do things and he keeps making excuses, right? Well, I, I, I got a speech impediment. I can't lead the people. I can't talk to them. He keeps coming up with excuses. How often do we come up with excuses of why we can't or why God's not smiling upon us because we just don't feel like it? And God's going, I'm right here. And Moses comes to this beautiful moment of realizing how unholy he is. And God flat out tells him everything that we should have in relationship with one another. You know, like husband and wife, friend to friend, Christian to Christian. Compassionate. Gracious. Slow to anger. And abounding. Abounding in loving kindness and truth. Forgiving sins, transgressions, and iniquity. Boy, wouldn't it be cool to have that kind of relationship, right? That's what we should say, you know, in the wedding vows. We do weddings now. Are you going to be all this? Well, today's modern society, they don't even want to do wedding vows. They write their own things. Let's, yeah, we'll be best friends forever. BFFs, great. 
God says, no, this is what it's like to be in relationship with me. I'm compassionate towards you. I'm gracious towards you. And you're going to blow it a lot, but luckily for you, I am slow to anger. And I am abounding in love and in truth. And I forgive you. Because I choose you. Moses comes to us at this point that again, he does a beautiful thing which I hope rings and resounds in our heart. He falls down when he realizes this moment of how holy God is and what God is doing. And he falls down to the earth. And in fact, he falls to prostrate on the ground. And the Bible says he falls low. You know, this is kind of that song, how low can you go, right? He falls low and he does what? He worships. Because he realizes God and him, deserving and undeserving, graceful and forgiven. And he bows down before God and he worships. You know, when you and I realize we have been chosen by God, it should make our knees tremble and our heart flutter to where we just fall down and worship the God of grace and loving kindness and forgiveness, who is slow to anger and is always with us. The God who chooses us in spite of ourselves, we should fall in worship. Because God is the one who wipes away our sins, he refines us and then he defines us. Right? Wipes away our sin, he refines us and he defines us all from him. Ruby Shelley tells a story of his friends, Rich and Patty White. You remember them, right? I have no clue who they are. Rich and Patty White, they were a couple and they traveled to a third world country to adopt a little girl by the name of Olana. Two years of legalities and politics and paperwork and continual effort by the efforts of Rich and Patty, finally after two years of all this hoopla to adopt this little girl, they stood in this third world country before a judge who read an official document that went like this when it came to them adopting Olana. The judge said, inasmuch as Olana Morgan is orphaned and unwanted by any family in this country. Inasmuch as no citizen of this country wishes to have Olana Morgan, and on and on and on. Wouldn't you love to be Olana in that moment? The words that came out of the judge are unwanted, unwanted, unwanted. You know, those are the words the saint tries to throw in your ears when he wants to bring you down. Unwanted, unwanted, unwanted. But when the judge finally finished his recitation of the declaration that he read, and he gave the whites the custody of Olana, the loving couple dropped to their knees to be on face level with their new daughter, Olana, 
and they looked and they promised this to that little girl. They said, you will never hear the word unwanted again spoken in reference to you. Never. You will never hear the word unwanted again spoken in reference to you. And when he arrived back home in Tennessee, they changed Alana's name from Alana Morgan, which the judge had, had declared so many times unwanted, unwanted, unwanted. They changed her name to Hope White. Shelley writes this, you and I are unwanted orphans in a hostile universe. Dearly beloved, you have been sought after and claimed, and we are God's own children. We have been given Christ's name as our own. We are secured because of him. And on the authority of Jesus, we rest in the confidence that we are more precious than we ever dared dream. And this morning as we talk about the fact that God chose us not because we were theological giants, selfish, selfless sacrificers, moral mighties, or holy rollers. God chose us because he wanted us. And his declaration to you and I today is simply this. Wanted, wanted, wanted. Desired, loved, and claimed. So what does this all mean for us? <laughs> well, a heck of a lot, doesn't it? It means that God chose you to express him, not to impress him. God chose you to be a part of something much bigger than yourself. God chose you that you would know that you are never, ever meaningless or unwanted ever, ever, ever again. God chose you on purpose, for a purpose. God chose you, just like in communion this morning, that you would choose him. God chose you so that your motivation in life would be to give, not to get. Why? Because you already have. God chose you because he loved you and was able to look past your sin into salvation, not as to who you are, but as to who he would make you to be, who he created you to be, from the very beginning, before you were even born, God chose you to be his own possession, adopted heirs into the full family of God without any strings. This should be significantly impacting our life, shouldn't it? Because we realize we were that David, that runt, that one that was so insignificant, he was not even in the house with all the rest of the family and the brothers. We are like Moses who come before God and realize that God chose us. And we are so overwhelmed, we fall and we worship. Because God has chosen us to be holy and to blameless. Not something we will be, 
definitely not something we have been, but something we are right now. Not because of our own doing, but because of what God has done. This morning, King's Kids, because that's who you are, King's Kids, I want you to worship God and relish in the fact that He has chosen you made you holy and blameless. He has chosen you and declared that you will never hear the word unwanted in reference to you again. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your encouragement and your word and your choosing us. Lord, help us to overcome the temptation to, to make excuses, Lord, to put ourselves down, to whine and cry help us instead to rejoice in you and how good you have blessed us how much you have blessed us and how how we are holy and righteous because of you god we have nothing to fear and everything to look forward to thank you for taking away our sins and our unwantedness and making us desired and wanted and chosen and claimed by you lord all glory and praise and worship to you the King of all kings, for only you are worthy to be praised. And we thank you for placing us in your family, the family of God this morning, and choosing us in Jesus' name.